0: This, this, this is the
1: DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Your war room for insider news and draft analysis from deep within the confines of Cowboys headquarters at the Star in Frisco. The
0: Dallas Cowboys select
1: TD Lamb. Oh, and now, your hosts, Brian Broadis, David Hellman, Bucky Brooks, and Kyle Yeomans. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to draft season. As the Super Bowl is in the rearview mirror, we are just 76 days away from the NFL draft, and we're going to break it all down for you right here on the draft show presented by Miller Lite as it is a wonderful Tuesday edition of the draft show. Kyle Yeomans, Bucky Brooks, Brian Broaddus, David Hellman with you as we are here for the next hour talking about some of the favorite draft prospects and even the draft thinking. Whenever it comes to the Dallas Cowboys and results of uh, Super Bowl 55 and how that might shift the thinking. But before we get into that, just kind of wanted to talk about that Super Bowl. I feel like we didn't get a chance to go through really our predictions or uh, our thoughts on the Super Bowl last week because we were busy breaking down the Senior Bowl instead of the Super Bowl. But now that the Super Bowl's in the rearview mirror, Bucky, were you surprised about the Buccaneers getting in there and and getting a 31-9 victory, another Super Bowl ring for Tom Brady and the way that that team was constructed?
2: Well, I mean, now that I get to talk after the Super Bowl, I don't have to put up my prediction. No, I wasn't surprised. I knew all (laughs) along that when you look at this defense, no, I mean, I didn't expect – the, the Buccaneers to be able to do what they did. But then when you see the game play out, I think there's some things that that always go hand in hand. If you invest in the offensive and defensive lines, you always have a chance. If you put speed on defense, particularly at the second level, it gives you a chance. And from a coaching staff standpoint, if you do things that are necessary to eliminate the big plays, you have a chance to win games. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played, I don't want to say the perfect game, but they played pretty flawless on both ends and And I think the way that they're constructed, they were just a team that was perfectly constructed to beat the Kansas City Chiefs playing the way that they played.
1: Brian?
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. When I was in the scouting world, when my team got eliminated, I didn't watch the playoffs or the Super Bowl or anything (laughs) like that. I I just immediately started in the tape. And, you know, it's so funny. And now that I'm on the media side of things, I actually do watch the game. I think the thing that we didn't give Tampa enough credit for was their ability to adjust their defensive scheme. You know, after giving up 467 yards passing in Week 12, you know Todd Bowles realized, "Listen, I can't play this way and have it come out." I do think, though, that the Buccaneers playing um, Kansas City uh, close in Week 12, going toe to toe with them, I think that gave him some some ideas that, like, you know what. We'll be okay if we have to play these guys. And at that point in time, you know, that was their last loss. And they've reeled off like eight straight victories now uh, to win the Super Bowl. So I think playing the Chiefs in Week 12 helped them. I think you have to have a coaching staff that's willing to adjust. And if you look at the way that Todd, uh, as what Todd Bowles did, but what Jason Light did, the general Mansions Buccaneers, you know, he went out and kind of built this thing through the draft, through the linebackers, their safety, but he also worked through free agency to get a couple of different players to help with that defensive line. So it's clearly possible to do when you start to talk about team building that you can construct your team to compete with one of the best teams in the National Football League.
3: And I think Kyle, this is this is what we're going to get into. I'm going to avoid the knee-jerk reaction this year, Brian. That's what we were talking about before the show. I'm going to avoid the knee-jerk reaction because I certainly did not expect Tampa. This
0: is very be- unlike you to do this, by the way. You <laughs> Thank know, you.
3: To, yeah, I appreciate did we, that. Did but- we
0: change your mind going into the show? That's what I wanted mm-hmm. to
3: know. <laughs> no, I just I think it, it like you know, and and it's understandable because only one team gets to win the Super Bowl every year. But like everybody looks at the Super Bowl winner as like having this secret sauce. You know, like everybody spent eight years chasing the Seattle Seahawks because they built that incredible team that made two Super Bowls, and everybody wants to find the next Patrick Mahomes for a similar reason. But you look at the Buccaneers. This was a pretty decent team last year with a pretty ferocious pass rush last year, by the way. Devin White was a stud as a rookie. Levante David has been an underrated all-pro caliber player for a long time. Shaq Barrett had 20 sacks and JPP had nine last year. Uh, So you take that core and add to it a Hall of Fame quarterback, a Hall of Fame tight end, a top-five pick running back, and a crazy, albeit very talented, all-pro caliber wide receiver – uh, you know, I, I picked Kansas City to win that game. I definitely thought that it would be more competitive, even if Tampa did win. But I shouldn't be surprised that this Tampa Bay team was Super Bowl caliber. And on top of that, not to take too much credit away from them, I don't care what you say, if uh, if Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher are available for that game, I think Kansas City wins. Wow. I think the Chiefs win if they can protect Pat Mahomes. So I don't... I- I don't, yeah. know. I, I don't. I don't know. know man. Disagrees. Bucky
2: disagrees. I don't know. I don't know. Like, and and I think I think this right because like the guys that Dave routed off, those guys made contributions in the Super Bowl, but they weren't really the core ingredients of the cake that the Tampa yeah, kind of Bay Buccaneers baked. Like yeah. Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski, they showed up in the Super Bowl, but they had been relatively quiet the whole time. I think the strategy is elite quarterback. And elite playing the trenches will always give you a chance. Mm -hmm. Like this team quietly took Tristan Wirfs in the first round, solidified that offensive line. Uh, They're able to run the football because as much as we would give credit to Tom Brady, they won in the playoffs because playoff lenny showed up and they began to play old school football. They managed the game. They let their defense create a ton of takeaways and it really set them up. And so when I look at this team in terms of the lessons that we can learn, Man, if you got pass rushers, if you have speed at linebacker, if you can bully people at the offensive line, it doesn't really matter what you have outside. It gives you a chance to get to that point where you can play playoff football.
3: This is going to sound nitpicky, but I would just say – those guys showed up in the entire playoff run. You know, I'd be mm-hmm. like, F- Fournette caught fire. Yep. Gronkowski played well in the playoffs. Like it wasn't just the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. And I guess just my, and not to give Tom Brady all of the credit, but this was a seven and nine team with a lot of the same core contributors, and and they yeah. win the Super Bowl because they have Tom Brady. And again, not just because mm-hmm. of him. Yeah, my,
0: my final point about this guys is and we talk about how to build teams but also about coaching. Todd Bowles went out of his element to make a game plan that could help his defense win. On the other hand, Andy Reid, Eric Bienemy, with a compromised offensive line, they should have tried to run the football. They should have tried to wear down Tampa's rush. And when Tampa made them one dimensional, that was it. It was mm-hmm. over. You know, I mean both teams. If you look at Tampa, Tampa didn't run the ball until late in the year. I mean, they, it was they were the one team that every time you looked up, they were last in the league when it came to second mm-hmm. down. They were second and eight all year, you know. And I think that when you look at Bowles, the plan he did, Andy Reid them and on the other side, they didn't protect that offensive line. That offensive line was compromised. Maybe you could have helped them by trying to run the football and maybe lean on Tampa Bay's pass rush a little bit and make them have to do that. Even though the Bucs were number one in the league when it came to run defense, I think you still had to try it, and and they didn't. They they exposed their quarterback uh, to a a beating because they weren't willing to uh, adapt their their, uh, game plan like Todd Bowles was
2: on the other side. And you know hey Ryan, so here, here's, 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 funny, Dave, and I want to get, I get this out. Um, so here's the thing that I think we all struggle with, right? Because we just saw this last year with the Cowboys. There's a thing where you can say, "Hey, we do what we do." Right. That's what we do. The Kansas City Chiefs. That was a Jason Garrett. That was, yeah. right. They, they're twenty-five and one coming into this game, doing what they do. We play eleven personnel. We don't go two tight ends. We're faster than you. You can't stop us. Deal with it. Right. And then you have the other way where you talk about Ty Bowles utilizing maybe a multiple-pronged approach. Like, hey, we can play some cover two, we can play three, we'll blitz, we'll do all this. Mm-hmm. And so it's the debate because we saw that approach fail in Dallas where Mike Nolan wanted to be, hey, let's be multiple, let's throw all this stuff out and let's do all these different coverages. And the players are like, ah, uh, no, I can't yeah. do that. Right. And so it's it's funny, and I do wonder what lessons will be, Learn from watching how Tampa Bay win. You know, it. This is an interesting thing to watch.
3: There was. I'll throw this out there too, and I'll. Oh, sorry, Kyle. Go ahead. No, go for it, Dave. I just this this is not new, but I'll I'll tie it into the Cowboys and their very obvious draft needs. This is like as old of an adage as there is. I'm not saying anything groundbreaking, but. It's hard not to notice that these two teams were very strong up the middle defensively. Right. Uh, You talk about you talk about getting Vita Vea back from a broken ankle. You talk about you know Indama Kinsu's been a beast for a decade. Uh, Devin White and Levante David. Like I said, I don't like the idea of drafting off-ball linebackers super high, but if you're telling me it's Levante David or Devin White, I'm pretty damn interested. And then you got you know you have you have guys like. Uh, Antoine Winfield Jr., Tyron Matthew, making plays all over the field. Uh, I don't know if it would have changed the outcome, but the the Tyron Matthew interception that got taken away was BS. That should have been a pick. Well, Um, I'll tell you
0: what, too, and and again, we're going back. We've talked about this on previous shows. The shorter players they have opportunity now you know crusty's should turn away from the shorter player if you could play you could play and it's it, it's it's there are some things about the measurables that you you should believe in but if you could play you could play and that's the things about guys like Winfield mm-hmm. and those linebackers at tampa you know if you could run if you could cover if you could get to the ball if you could finish we, you know, we have to consider you because, again, you just can't say, oh, we're going to get this kind of guy and this kind of guy. No, you have to keep your eyes open for all types of players to, to make part of your, or your roster. Well,
1: and going off of that, Brian, and you're talking about these players that can play and you're talking about the tape and, and even whether or not the – the position specifically fits whatever your defense is. Does this change your thought process about a guy like a Micah Parsons? And I know, Dave, whenever you were talking about off-ball linebackers, that's who you were referring to, especially at pick number 10. But, Brian, if you're talking about finding those players, the film is there for Micah Parsons. It's the character, it's the the, the mm-hmm. drive kind of concerns that might kind of stray you away.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I I think with Parsons, you have to look at his situation and say, okay, yeah, physically he looks great, but does he make enough plays? I mean, and and that's the the scary part of these evaluations is you can get, as a scout, as we all watch these tapes and these games, you can get mesmerized by how big he is, how good he looks Mm -hmm. in that number 11 running around out there. But, you know, the bottom line is, is he in on every tackle? That, that's the thing when you watch the guys like White and David and those guys. They're in on every tackle. Yeah, that That's the things that get you excited about watching tape. Winfield, the same way. The reason why you would take a shorter safety is because this kid would knock you out. He'd play the ball. He finished as a tackler. Those are the types of things you look for. And then I think with Parsons, you, you get scared. You honestly get scared because there'll be four or five plays where he's just not involved. And you're thinking, damn, a guy that big has to be in the middle of all this. Yeah. You know, And you wonder if it's immaturity, if it's just football intelligence. Is it just desire? I mean, all these things kind of pop in your head. But you watch him play how he looks physically on the field, you become seduced by watching that. And that's a scary thing to have to deal
2: with. I think, uh, Brian, I, I think a couple things that, that you touched on that are intriguing to me. One, you, we talk about like the off-the-ball linebacker conversation. I think that's a fascinating conversation because I don't know where those adages came from, um, but it's kind of like we talk about the off-the-ball linebacker. I just know this. When I watch Devin White and Levante David play, they suck up everything. And I think if you go back and watch them in college – they did the same exact thing. Like, their energy, their relentlessness, their passion in terms of pursuing the ball, it stands out. And then I'm i am be honest, maybe some of this is old school. Like, I like guys that knock taste out your mouth. Like, Devin White, when he was hitting the Kansas City Chiefs, he was hitting them to put them out. Yep. And I think when we get into the playoffs and those things, you need to have those kinds of guys. I think with Michael Parsons, I think the, the first thing that we have to do before we talked about him, who is coaching him? Because I think you have to scout the coaches. Because if you have a guy who can get that out of him, then it's one thing. But if you have a mild-mannered linebacker coach, a more cerebral linebacker coach, a one who can't kind of like urge and take out the pronger and kind of get that, you're wasting your time because he's never going to change or he's not going to raise his standard of expectation when it comes to it. But in looking at him, man, I like I know he hasn't played in a year, but when you see him, his ability to blitz – his, his size and strength, when he turns it on and he runs through people, you feel his presence on tape. Can you get him to hustle more? I don't know. I think that's where you have to dig into the character of him and see how much does he love it. Because if he loves it, he'll play hard. Yeah, see, this is the thing we talk about, too. If you watch the Notre Dame kid, Coromora,
1: yep,
0: it, he's 220 pounds and making every single tackle. I mean, yes. he, is in, he is in every single play. You watch him play and you're like going – my gosh, this kid's a good football player. You know, you watch the kid Bolton. That's another one we've talked about from Missouri. Mm -hmm, He's a shorter guy. He's in every single play. Those are the kinds of things when you're looking at a 6'3", 244-pound linebacker, you're expecting that from him. And that's what's mm-hmm. scary. That is what's so scary because but but to what the point I was making earlier, you shouldn't be afraid of the Notre Dame linebacker. You shouldn't be afraid of the Missouri linebacker. You know why? Because they're making plays, they're finishing tackles, they're physical is what they're doing. There's no questions about those guys. So there's guys out there and you but the coaches like Bucky said have got to be willing to coach them hard when they have to, to 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 entertain like maybe they have some flaws work around those flaws help them develop a little bit that's where coaching comes into that guy but if you if you reach a guy like that that kid at Penn State you could have a rare player you really really could david if you if you I had think one we guy this,
1: oh uh, here i'm uh, i was gonna ask you this really quickly if you had yeah. one guy out of that list no, of it. linebackers that could potentially fit with the cowboys and you could take them up and you could pluck them right there and you think that uh, no matter what round it is it could be in any round which one would you do it for would it be coromora would it be uh would it be a bolton is it still parsons up at the top of the draft which one would you Take pluck and put right in the middle of that Cowboys defense.
3: Well, that's actually I I was about to say is I and I think we've brought this up since Dan Quinn was hired, but I think you have to consider a different class of linebacker mm-hmm. in light of the type of linebackers that Dan Quinn has favored in the past. Sure. Like I've you know, I've brought up Deion Jones, Devin White's LSU teammate. He's he's six six foot and a half, two twenty-five. Like this ain't a these aren't hulking monster linebackers, and they made him a second-round pick. Uh, and I, I brought this up last night. I'm, I'm not the guy. I'm gonna leave that to Brian to tell you where you need to draft these guys. Mm-hmm. But I frickin', or and or Bucky for that matter, I love uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Like he's fun to watch. I think he's got a very modern element to his game in the sense that. You know, Notre Dame moves him over to the slot to handle some of that. He can play linebacker. He can probably do a little safety. He blitzes. He gets after the quarterback. He tackles everything. He makes plays on the ball. And that's all the stuff that I want from somebody in the middle of my defense. So I'm not sure if he's worth the 10th overall pick, but I like that guy a lot. I would be thrilled to have him on my defense.
2: He's a good player, and I think everything you guys talk about matters. And I'm glad that you brought up the point about DQ because I think that really changes the temperature when it comes to the linebackers that will be in the conversation because if you go back and you look at his history, and you look at the history when those guys were in Seattle, those linebackers aren't prototypical size-wise. Those guys are fast guys that play and and can go sideline to sideline. I do think the one thing that stands out, I don't know if he's ever been around a first-round linebacker. Like, I think Bobby Wagner was a second-rounder. K.J. Wright was someone that went later in the draft. You go to Atlanta, they never invested a first-rounder in a linebacker. So I think it's probably looking a little bit beneath the, the surface to try and find who's in that next tier, who has those Levante David, Devin White, fast playmaking traits that you're like, oh, okay, if I put him behind – big defensive tackles. They can run and flow and do all those things that you want them to do. I think the guy that was interesting
0: to me in that case, and I think you're dead on with this, Bucky, I, I just don't see them using a first-round pick. I mean, I'd love the Notre Dame kid. I would, because I see in this day and age how you have to have, and, and it's an overused term, we do it all the time on the radio, the position flex. Rod Marinelli used mm-hmm. to wear us out about position flex and all that. But you watch Coramora play He's lining up in the slot. He's lining up at linebacker. He's you know, he's doing everything. And maybe this was what killed Isaiah Simmons last year at Clemson. That we watched him so much doing so many different things and he didn't do anything. You know, it's like put yeah. him in a spot, let him play. So yeah. maybe if you look at the second tier linebackers, I might drive you guys nuts with this guy, but the Pete Warner kid from Ohio State yeah. to me 6'1", 235, he runs, he tackles. There's a guy that probably is not going to be a first-round guy, but, man, in the second round, you're picking at 44. I'm kind of liking what I'm seeing with this guy because he's got that ability. He was a converted safety, so he kind of mm-hmm. understands like the coverage aspect of things. But he also is, when you put him down there as a linebacker, He's getting after people. He's running sideline to sidelines. He's getting he's get behind the line of scrimmage. He's making plays. He's a finisher. So, I mean, those are the types of guys I'm looking at uh, for uh, potentially if they didn't mm-hmm. go first round at linebacker.
3: Bucky, Bucky, cover your ears real quick because I don't want I don't want you to hear this linebacker. <laughs> sl- I don't want you to hear this linebacker slander. But that would be. That would be an ideal outcome for me. Like I'm not dying to spend. Like I've said this before, I'm not dying to spend mm-hmm. a top ten pick Agreed. at that position. If you're t- if you're telling me I can get one of the premier positions like a cornerback or an offensive tackle in the first round instead, and still find a plug and play linebacker, you know, uh, uh, Levante David. I looked this up. He was like the 58th overall mm-hmm. pick. Of yeah. course, it's not a given you're going to draft Levante David, but like you can find guys with that upside in the second, third round. I would much rather take my chances there and draft a more valuable position at the top of the draft.
2: You know, I'm not opposed to that strategy, Dave. Like, that's that's I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like sometimes you have to make an exception, sure. like in the top five. Like, I think it was very clear to see when we watched Devin White that hey, he's a different dude. Like, those different dudes should get graded as such. Much like I had a tough time considering Quinn nelson as the number three overall pick as a guard because i've been trained man there's no way we can find the guard in the fifth sixth seventh round we always can find the guard because they always have neighbors around them but then when you see a player who comes in who is knocking guys off the screen you kind of have to be considered like okay well maybe we'll do this but (laughs) i i think i look I, i think the first round like now when we look at it it really should be reserved for four positions it is quarterback offensive tackle pass rusher and then cornerback like that's yep. kind of where it is like that's the meat and potatoes that's that's what it is and then when we look at those other positions you can find them I'm not saying that like hey I won't take a Leonard Fournette or whatever someone like that but you can find those guys in other rounds
1: yeah Agreed. And kind of what you were talking about earlier with Dan Quinn and him never having been around a first round linebacker that makes me even more confident that you could find a second or third round guy, especially if you have two second round picks with that Byron Jones comp pick that comes in. You've got three picks in the second and the third round, that day two slot, you can pick up a linebacker there, Dave, and pluck him right in the middle of that defense, and then all of a sudden you're cooking with gas because – you go and find one of those guys like Brian's talking about that go in those finish the play finish the tackle that are on tape that show out that's something you haven't seen from a Cowboys perspective maybe since you drafted Leighton Vanderesh in the first round but now you don't have to spend that first round pick on it now you don't have to do that so Brian if you're looking at some in of go. these second and third round linebackers does that make you feel better about the fact that you can find a day two guy rather than spend that top ten pick?
0: What I hope is that Dan Quinn brings the same magic that he brought when you start talking about linebackers and his ability to evaluate. And let's be honest, guys, the the, the defensive coordinator and the offensive coordinator have a lot of say in what happens with the mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. We we'll go back to the draft with Jalen with Jalen Ramsey and Ezekiel Elliott. It was, it was Rod Marinelli and Chris Richard that stepped up and said, no, take Zeke, take Zeke, that'll help us. That'll keep us off the field. You know, they didn't fight for Jalen Ramsey. But, but then again, they thought Jalen Ramsey was a safety. You know, that, yeah. that just kind of, that shows you kind of how that thing was going. They weren't sure where they were going to play him. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the defensive coordinator carries a big stick in that room and you know I my hope is that these coaches from Atlanta they've got some good defensive players over the years they've drafted some good defensive players I'm hopeful though that they that they come with the right like that they're able to convey to the scouts hey my scheme needs this you know you know, last year we, we heard uh, Mike Nolan saying, Oh, we'll adapt to whatever players we have. No, you didn't. You really did. Nope. You know? So I, I need I need evaluators. I need the scouts and the coach, the defensive coordinator. I need them on the same page. But I need him to be able to tell them, like, listen, this is why I think this guy, this is why I think Coromora, even though we're picking at ten and he probably should be picked at fifteen to eighteen. This is why I would take him right now. You know, that's the kind of – I need passion from my coach to, to help the scouts
2: along to figure this out. Yeah. I, I have a question. Does, does yeah. this mean we're, we're, we're moving on from Jalen Smith? Is, is, that, is that what this means? Because we've had a lot of conversation for five minutes on linebacker, and I think the evaluation is going to
0: be
2: what does yeah, DQ think about – Jalen Smith and and LVE. Does he feel like he can fix him? Uh, does he have any choice in terms of no? I can move on from him, or no? You have to keep him at least for another year. I think that's the million dollar question.
3: Shameless yeah. plug because I've actually you know we're we're kind of doing a series where we assess every position group on the roster and where it stands right now. I've lit I've written a lot of words about the linebacker position over the last three days. <laughs> it's it's very interesting because you think about Leighton Vander Esch. His his option deadline is coming up. If the Cowboys don't pick it up, then he's only under contract for one more year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think ultimately, I think it's gonna be heavily on how much Dan Quinn thinks he can fix Jalen, whether he's here or not. I wouldn't be surprised either way. Like I really, I would not be surprised if he's here next year. I would not be surprised if he's gone. But either way. I just think and and then obviously, you know, Sean Lee might be done playing football altogether. We'll have True. to see. So you could it's equally possible that all three of your top linebackers could be back, and it's equally possible that you could need to like redo the entire position.
2: Oh, I and, think the
0: Cowboys are going to ask Jalen Smith to take a pay cut.
1: I,
3: I really be do. Yeah. I I I
0: I think there's I don't think this is going to be one of those things where they're going to be real nice about it. They're going to say, "Listen, we need you to do. We need you to redo your contract." And and if he agrees, I think he still has a job. If he doesn't, then we need to be talking about every one of these linebackers, like we need to be talking about every one of these quarterbacks. Yep. You know, I mean, that's that that the Dallas Cowboys could go. They they'll say a hundred different ways in, in this draft, and every one of them would probably help this team. And you you can, you can, we could all laugh about the quarterback thing like that. That that right there is getting we're we're down to we're down to weeks now on this decision. And we might get a green bay situation here with the Cowboys. You might get Dak Prescott on a tag and have to draft his successor in order because if if they don't get a deal done, you be ready for him to walk. Is what yeah, I is what gracious. I would say.
1: You know. That that's that's the easy way to look at it right now. That's the easy way to look at it whenever you tag him. You that's know, what you're, you're saying. I
0: mean, everybody everybody right now is dying inside because they know the Cowboys need so much help on defense mm-hmm. that they might have to draft a quarterback to protect mm-hmm. themselves. You know, and and maybe Gosh. maybe they say, yeah. you know what? We might be bad again next year and be in the top 10 and ha- and pick thin. But right now they they're in a they're in a very much a Green Bay Packers situation when it comes to their
2: quarterback. Yep. If they don't, I don't disagree. I think you're completely right. Yeah, I think I think they they painted themselves into a corner where now mm -hmm. it is almost prohibitive to give the big deal because what's going to happen and ultimately like Dak can get the blame for it. They finally signed him to a long term deal, but now you don't have the stuff around him, and then he gets all the blame and can't he carry it? And I do believe he is like a fringe top five player in the position, Mm -hmm. but. You are going to have to reconsider, like, what do you have? What can you do? All these other contracts, how do you fit them into the puzzle? Mm-hmm. It's a lot. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. It would be fascinating to watch over the next three or four weeks. Could yeah, be. I
0: just don't think. I mean, the Cowboys have got they've got till March 9th. And, you know, we'll have a draft show, you know, the, the week of all that and stuff. And we'll know. We'll know what direction this thing is going to go. Oh,
3: I see, think. I don't think I quite agree with that. I mean, I know March 9th is the deadline, but... If they tag him and then get a deal done a month later, they've got until they've got until 2 or 3 weeks before the draft. They've got until like mid-April. I think that's my drop dead date cuz if you got to tag him to buy yourself time, that's fine, but it would be negligent to go into the draft with Dak not under contract yeah. and not look at quarterbacks. Do you
0: feel like that they, do you feel like that it's going to take them 2 months to sign this guy?
3: I, I like, I would, why would I even act like I know what's going to happen? Like, it's been two years where I've been like, it's oh, going to no, happen. Oh, no, that's it's what I'm happen. saying. Like, that's
0: what I'm saying. I, I my, my plans are, I, yeah, I want to believe that, oh, April 9th, we can get a deal done. But if, you know, you've got to negotiate hard for the next six
3: weeks. Yeah, oh, you I got, agree with that. You know, I agree you, with that.
0: You've got to negotiate hard for the next six weeks. But if we get like five weeks in, it's like, well, we haven't talked. We haven't talked.
1: Yeah. yeah you're, gonna, you're gonna get a pretty good you idea of on what's happening. Point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and man, I'm basically what, just talking about yeah, what Brian was saying earlier is if you tag him and he gets through the draft or gets up to the draft on that franchise tag, sure, he'll be under contract for the next year, but he's gonna walk after that. You haven't had those back to back franchise I, I, tag yeah. quarterbacks. You're not gonna have Dak Prescott in twenty twenty two.
0: And you might be forced to take your successor mm-hmm. when you need defensive help. That
2: that's a, that's a terrible way to operate right there.
1: Gosh, I hate that. I mean, and it's,
2: it's one of those things. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not. It's something that you have to do, but it's better for them to take the successor this year yeah. than to wait until next, next year because year. I don't even know what their quarterback class looks and, like and next year. Early yeah. early indications are the quarterback class is not
0: very good. Yep. That's just that's just talking to guys that. Just the Liberty kid. I keep hearing about the Liberty that's, kid. Yeah, that's that's basically. I mean, okay, no love for North Carolina. I don't want to take
3: this, y'all, are, <laughs> right, y'all are crazy right. trying that, to I'm predict just, this a know, year scouts, ahead of time. Scouts are always like, scouts. This are always guy. Say the worst this guy. Ever. This guy was a fifth round pick at the start of the 2019 season. Say, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just Fifth to, round pick <laughs> at the start.
2: You have to Went think about it. You just, we just always have to think about it. Like, you have to go through and you're walking through and you're looking at the program and, hey, who's QB2? I mean, yeah. right now the only guy that we're talking about is the Liberty guys, the only one that I've heard buzz on.
1: Yeah.
3: No, you're not I wrong. just, I don't think you can afford, you can't afford to wait because one way or another, and, yes, I know the Cowboys haven't been to an NFC title game in 30 years, but they don't pick in the top ten very often. They're usually mm-hmm. good enough to avoid that. So you can't. Nobody wants Dak under contract more than I do, but you can't pass up an opportunity at a top ten yeah, pick, especially when there's four good quarterback, maybe five good quarterbacks yeah. in the first round.
2: All right, let's you can, go, you can uh, always trade for one. Like, who, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> like, get one. You can get one anywhere. Yeah, like, just go ahead. And <laughs>
1: let's give up this picks. Let's figure it out. Let's let's make a trade. Miami. We I talked about it last week. If let's I get did. Miami in here. <laughs> If
0: I could have if I could have had as many quarterbacks as there's available today in two thousand when I was working for the Cowboys, I'd still be working.
1: (laughs) Oh, gosh.
0: (laughs) It's crazy. It's amazing. In the 2000s, nobody wanted to give up their quarterback. Now everybody's like, listen, take my guy, please. Take Take my guy. Take my guy.
1: Yeah. Let's take our first break. We're way over time on this and we got off topic. But when we come back, Twitter on the 20, it is my fault. I'm a terrible bus driver today. That's okay. I just love listening to you guys chat about quarterbacks. When we come back, is there any kind of shift in the thinking for the Dallas Cowboys in terms of the Super Bowl results and how it affects their draft stock when we come back here on DallasCowboys.com Draft Show.
4: There's nothing as unique as our eyes, which is why SLR pioneers ways to make lenses as unique as you. Verilux for super sharp vision, Essential Blue for protection, and Crizal for freedom from glare. Three cutting-edge solutions in a single unique lens. So whatever your needs, insist on Essilor. Visit your local Essilor experts and find the perfect lens for you. See more. Do more. Essilor. Since 1865, Stetson hats are American-made with pride right here in Texas. And Stetson is proud to be on the field with America's team. Want to show your Texas and team pride, too? You can. By purchasing your own Stetson, you can look just like how the flag guys do on field at every home game. Stetson Hats, the official crown of all self-respecting cowboys
3: May I have a new candle, please? Historically, switching to new technology is a no-brainer. Today, it's AT&T 5G. Fast, reliable, secure, and nationwide. Switch to AT&T 5G. It's not complicated. 5G requires compatible plan. may not be in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. This is the DallasCowboys.com Draft Show. Back here with the
1: DallasCowboys.com Draft Show here on a Tuesday morning. Bucky Brooks, Brian Broadus, David Hellman. I'm Kyle Yeomans. and. Time now to get into a little bit of some Twitter on the 20. 20. I believe the sounder played in the background, but if it didn't, that's okay. Aspiring journalist on Twitter asked, after watching the Super Bowl, gentlemen, has has it changed your opinion on positional value for this upcoming draft regarding the Cowboys? And I'm going to talk to David Hellman initially because you said no knee-jerk reaction. I'm assuming... In that first segment, when you said knee-jerk reaction, you were talking about taking an offensive tackle instead of some defensive talent. Do you think this has shifted the way that things kind of look for the Cowboys overall and the way that they will evaluate this draft class?
3: No, when I said no knee-jerk reaction, I just meant, like, let's give Tampa Bay credit for building a really good team. Like, Mm. it's not like they did something... It's not like they did something off the wall and crazy. I mean, like I said... They have good defensive tackles, they have good linebackers, they have good safeties, they have a Hall of Fame quarterback, and they upgraded the offensive line around him. So uh, if anything, I guess the closest thing I have to a knee-jerk reaction is it's hard not to watch Patrick Mahomes run for his life without his two starting tackles, and you think about, you know, Lyle missed the entire season, Mm -hmm. Tyron has had issues for five years now. I was already open to the idea of drafting a tackle, but probably even more so now because I I said this I I said this to Brian on Sunday I was like can you imagine if the Cowboys got all the way to that game and then they didn't have Tyron or Lyell for the Super Bowl mm-hmm. like I mean you would just be sick yep. you would be sick to your stomach all day um, so I was like I said I was always open to that idea but I'm probably more open to it now than I was before the game.
2: Uh. That's funny because I I, I think that I think that's something that should have been talked about before. We talked about like Slater and some of those other guys potentially at number ten, but I think you have to take an offensive line. You have to consider it and I think you have to do it a year or two early because we've seen. I mean what Martin went from being a tackle at Notre Dame to kicking inside and playing guard. I mean, like that's what you do. You're trying to get the best five that you can get, and you mix and match and, mm-hmm. and put them out there because you don't want to get caught like the Kansas City Chiefs got caught with their pants down, where in the Super Bowl, they're playing with three guys in new positions, and you can't win. And so you have to invest in the O-line and the D-line, and I think the Super Bowl really kind of brought that. To light, like man, you better have a bunch of pass rushes that you can throw at people, and you better have a, an offensive line that can can protect the quarterback.
0: Yeah, I, I think that you you know you have to keep a really open mind. You can't just sit there and say they have to have defensive players, and, yep. and yeah, they they do need defensive players, but you have to keep your mind open about the tackle, the quarterback. Uh, you have to keep the mind open about defensive tackle, a safety, a corner. So yeah, I, I think the Cowboys. You look at maybe if you look at the Buccaneers and the Chiefs, you realize how far away you really are. <laughs> that might be the reality right there. You know that like whoa, well, uh, that that team. You know, and and by the way, Dallas plays both those teams next year on the road. Yep. So you know, mm-hmm. keep that in mind. But, yeah, I think that you, you're, you're, you've you got to be open. The, the the Super Bowl does nothing for me except mean the season's over. Now, i got to focus on my issues, and I've got a ton of them.
1: So we're all collectively drafting you, you, you Rashawn you Slater at 10 overall right now, right?
0: What's wrong, Bucky? Why are you laughing oh, no. at me?
2: I'm laughing because you're disdained for watching any other football once your team is out of it. Yeah, like to Bucky, me, it's, it's been a lot. Ryan's, been what, we call. Been been Ryan's is, what we is call is a loser. That you're, not, that you're just not, not going to watch and see what's going on. Uh, you, just, nah. you just have the blinders on, and I'm just worried Bucky, about the Cowboys. I don't know <laughs> you what's out there. Bucky, you're, you're
0: a dear friend of mine, and you know you could have been in the Super Bowl. Okay, I have a Tom Dimitrov. When Tom Dimitrov was in the Super Bowl, Tommy D and I go way back. Steve Sabo, we go way back. Okay, when they were in the Super Bowl, I didn't even know what happened until like I didn't even watch the game. I didn't even watch the game, and I'm like, "What, what
2: do you do when like, the game is on? Well, the game is everything." I'll tell, you, like I'll tell you, I'll tell you what he away. does, Bucky.
3: He sits at his desk with his feet up and watches tape like a freaking dweeb. <laughs> That's what I do.
0: You're,
3: you're a sore if, loser, if, Brian. You, you it's could okay be one, of my, the could the be
0: one of my best friends, and if you lost that Super Bowl, I'd have been like, "Hey, man, I'm sorry." But you know what I saw a really good offensive lineman play at uh, Louisiana <laughs> you Tech. You should look at him. <laughs> you're watching tape now, You're too, trying right? you're trying too hard. <laughs> yeah. You're what, trying what happened too hard to, the to be a you, you didn't block anybody. Maybe you should look at this tackle I was looking
2: at the other day, yeah? So, so uh, funny. I do wonder though, like in looking at the Super Bowl, are we fast enough? No. are the Cowboys no. fast enough? No, like just from an no. from an overall team speed standpoint, I think that's the one thing we can talk about, like the yeah. positions. But when we turn on the tape and we look at the Chiefs and the Bucks play versus right. the Cowboys, what is that team speed like? And that team speed not only matters on offense and defense, but on special teams.
1: Yeah, when yeah. you think
2: about the explosive plays and blocking punts and big returns, do you have enough weapons to create those? big opportunities because your team is fast. Hopefully that's what Dan Quinn does. And, you know, again, there's
0: receivers we've talked about. What was C.D. Lamb coming out of college? He was a catch-the-ball-and-run guy. Yeah. We didn't see C.D. Lamb. I mean, early in the year we saw some big plays down the middle of the field. But I think you're right, Bucky. Overall team speed is is really lacking,
1: especially on defense.
3: Well, when you yeah, lose, I'm more worried about defense than offense. Yeah, when I was saying
1: on offense, whenever you lose your offensive line and you become one dimensional and you can't hold on to the football and you have a 90 million dollar running back that decides to fumble every two snaps, then yeah, it's going to make things a little <laughs> bit tough to catch and run with the football. Uh, I'm not throwing shade there at anybody. I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, second question. He
2: just did. <laughs> he just did.
1: Second yeah. question here for Twitter on the 20. He'll Christopher Davis. I'll have an opinion. <laughs> no, I have an opinion. Trust me. Uh, looking for an in-depth take on Quitty Pay, the edge rusher out of Michigan, Uh, He said he saw him mock to the Cowboys at 10. Chris Davis is the uh, the one who asked this question, I don't know if I said that, but can you ask the guys about Pay and what they thought about him? The one word I had whenever I watched Pay was dense. I thought he was very dense on the edge. He's not your normal, long, lanky, outside of the, the tackle edge rusher. He's more of kind of a power guy, right Brian? No,
0: absolutely. I mean, he's a funny built guy too. Yeah. It's it was it was really weird. I mean, he's listed as six three, and he doesn't look that on tape, you know. And but he's got look the shorter arms and stuff like that. I mean, I like the way he can. I think he can cover some ground when he when he when he runs, and I think he can redirect. And I do think he's got some pass rush moves. And you can play him on either side, which was a, a, something that I was kind of impressed with. But. I thought that there were times where he really struggled to get off blocks, and I don't want to be the scout that says, oh, because the shorter arms, he can't get off blocks. But there were snaps where he would get tied up, and I thought that that was kind of a a struggle for him to have to disengage. But other than that, the ability to run, the ability to chase, the ability to get to the football, the, the redirection, all that stuff, to capture the edge. I think that's all legitimate stuff, though. But I, his body type was really strange to me watching him play on tape. I don't think he's a long-rangey guy at all for being you know, 6'3", 271 pounds.
2: It's funny, Veronica, because I have the John Wooden quote in my head. I'm like, don't confuse activity for achievement. I mm. think he's active, and I think he runs around, and he plays with great effort. But I wrote in my notes, I don't see any necessarily impact. He gets yeah. garbage sacks. He gets those things. But I don't view him as an impact player. And I'm a little more partial to production, particularly sack production, because I believe it translates. And he has 11 and a half career sacks, which is fine. But I never found a game where I'm like, or a series of games where I'm like, man, this dude is dominating. Like, yeah. you need to pay attention to him. You need to slide the protection that way because you can't stop him. I found it more like, oh, okay, that's, that's a nice play. But it wasn't the type like, hey, let me go into the offensive room and say, hey, we better have a plan for dealing with with pay. And I don't know, like if I'm going to take him at those prices where you have to yeah. take him in the top ten, man, I better feel like I'm getting a guy that can really impact the game from the time he steps in.
0: Yeah, I, I totally – I mean, I like what you're saying there, Bucky, because I looked at the last note. I said there's some hit and miss to his game, and that, that, that bothers me. If you're talking about a top ten guy and you're telling me there's hit and miss to his game, I, I don't want any part of that no. I really really don't
3: I just look at a, a like pass rusher especially like I just look at resume and I know you know there's always it's a position where upside means so much some guys are on a longer trajectory that's fine for a top 10 pick I'm real nervous about what he accomplished in college yeah. you know I, and mm-hmm. I that's just that's just a valuable valuable pick. That I'm not yeah. willing to take that big of a gamble on, especially when you consider that there are way more proven commodities, you know, like like the cornerbacks, for just as an easy example, uh, that I I I wouldn't feel comfortable taking that risk. Just
0: take Kyle
2: Pitts and you'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's funny. Hey, hey Dave, I, I will give I will give you this because it comes from Brian's friend and I learned this a long time ago. Ozzie Newsome said ah. when you're looking at pass rushers always pay attention to sack production because yeah. they've done studies. Yeah. Yeah. Guys who sack the quarterback in college, they sack the guy in the pros. And it doesn't right. matter about body type or any of those things. When you see a guy who has sustained sack production over multiple years, they do it. Terrell Suggs would be the example. Suggs was
0: a great example of that. Yeah. He also
2: he also would give you Elvis Doomerville. When Elvis Doomerville came out of Louisville, he had 20 sacks. He had a million sacks. He was short, like six foot. But he always got to the quarterback. And so that's one of the things. When you talk about the resume, look at the resume over multiple years. Those are the guys that, that typically do it because they know how to get them to
3: the ground. I would throw tackles for Lawson as well. And I, uh, yes, all hey, of it. All, yeah. of, mm-hmm. all of it matters. So, yeah, it just kind of scares me. I like that John Wooden quote
1: you threw out there, though, Bucky. I think that's a, a good way to look at a lot of these drag yeah. guys whenever it comes it's to It's terrible
0: that a guy from North Carolina with a great basketball history has to quote a UCLA, <laughs> UCLA basketball,
1: basketball
2: I mean, I got Dean Smith stuff in the bag. I'm just waiting. I got Dean <laughs> Smith in heck, the Bucky, stuff come in the on,
1: bag. Man. I Roy, what a show, I mean, I, show,
2: I got that stuff in the bag. I took a basketball class oh, in good. college. He told me that the Kansas City Chiefs shouldn't have done what they did in week 12 against Tampa Bay when they let them close the gap. He said, you got to hammer people because if you let people feel like they have a chance, the next time they face you, they yeah. enter the game with more confidence. So Who that's why you that? blow them out. Who said that? Dean really? Smith. Dean Smith. No, oh, Dean Smith. Dean wow. Smith. Absolutely blow it out. So I'm going to run up the score guy. Run it up. Yeah. Oh,
3: hell yeah. Wow. Every time you Anytime you can. This is interesting. <laughs> Dude, he
0: held the ball for like 12 minutes <laughs> in a game one time. I'm not going to lie show to you is guys. This show has just
3: turned into Bucky and Brian trying to roast each other. Yeah, it's it, but I love it. And also, I, I've no, always I've
1: always highly respected Bucky Brooks. But when he said he had Dean stuff or Dean Smith stuff in the bag, and then he actually brought one out immediately, <laughs> I, like I have never respected you more than in this very moment of talking about Dean Smith and the coaches and the, the quotes that you just pulled out. That was fantastic. Uh, okay, back to draft. So Jay on Twitter uh, asked. Us about Hafunga? Is that how you say his name? The safety out of USC. And he wanted our thoughts on mm. Hafunga. I, I don't. I need to look up pronunciations. I haven't gotten to that part of my study yet.
0: Bucky, you got a thought on him because I'm working my way towards
2: him.
1: I've I, got mean, other safeties I, in mind.
2: I have a thought, but but my thing on safeties right now, man. If you can't hit, run, and cover, it's, it's hard to have a guy that is kind of one dimensional unless you have a D coordinator who has a plan he's instinctive and he's active but when you look at the guys that are playing that are playing and making plays in the playoffs he's not in that realm in terms of being a ball hawk or those guys and so I don't know like if you want to maybe take him and kind of drop him down and do some things in the box like we've seen guys do with like having a third safety on the field as a big nickel or whatever like maybe you can do that but in terms of being a center fielder or a playmaker that's not what he does. And so there's a role for everybody if your defensive coordinator has those kind of tricks in the bag. But um, he's a good player, but I wouldn't put him in in, in that, that upper tier where you're like, hey, you're getting a difference maker, someone who's gonna make plays on the ball.
3: Think and I haven't I haven't watched him yet for full disclosure, but just as a general thought, I feel like in any draft there's only like three to five safeties that you're like He's instinctive, he plays the ball, he can play free safety, he can do this, he can do that. And then everybody else is just a guy you're like, "Yeah, like he can do some stuff in the box and tackle." I mean, and I don't mean this as a slight, but it no, what just it's... What you just said reminds me of Donovan Wilson, who the Cowboys, you know, found in the 6th round of the draft. Yeah. So, and that's what makes it so frustrating is if especially, you know, for the Cowboys who have been unwilling to do it, if you're not willing to invest like a top 50 or 60 pick, you're probably not getting that guy. Like, those guys go high in the draft for reasons because those those instincts are not easily found.
0: I really I – tell you, the one guy I watched the other day was the Florida State kid, uh, Nasrl Dean. Dean. Is that how you say this? Mm-hmm. Nasrl Dean, yeah. I, I'll tell you what, man. I, 6'3", 212 pounds, I saw a finisher there. I saw a guy that was mm-hmm. around the ball. I saw a guy – you know, if they need a true free safety type of a player – that's kind of like who I'm looking for right now because I kind of feel good about Donovan Wilson Yep. but I'm looking for a guy that's got some range that's got some hit, that's got some finish that's got some ball skills that's the kind of guy that I think the Cowboys I think when when Dan Quinn he's already sat down and looked at his defense he's
2: going to push hard for these scouts to find him a real free safety. So it's, it's funny, Brian, like in thinking about DQ's history, so there are two different types of, of safeties, and he kind of values them differently. He took Keanu Neal in right. Atlanta. Keanu Live was, was a guy who was a more of a box area player, big hitter, big guy, tough guy against a run. And then, you know, he has made converted corners into safeties. He took Demate Kazi from San, San Diego, Diego State, State. Mm-hmm. Yeah. who had – a million interceptions, and he moved him to free safety. It took two years for that process to kind of come to fruition, but he started back there. Brian Powell was another guy that has played back there, so it will be interesting to see, one, how he views Donovan Wilson. Does he view Donovan Wilson as that guy that is hovering in the box, and now do I need to go get the ornament on top of the Christmas tree. Mm. If he does that, then it takes you a different direction. We talked about Richie Grant here, like over and over and over again. So then what you're doing is, you're looking for those true center fielder types. And if you ask me my druthers, I would like to look into their background and make sure that they have baseball in their background. Hmm. Because then I know they can judge the ball and do those things or whatever. So it's just the evaluation, the self scout, this year is more important than ever because how DQ views what's currently on the roster will shift how the Cowboys go about doing their work in the draft. Kyle, can I ask a real quick question? Sure. And
0: just real short answer, guys. I know where. Do you guys think that Patrick Peterson from Arizona could play free safety? Oh, you! Read I the, think so. You read, you read the Twitter mentions before the show yeah. too. Huh? <laughs> no, no, I just was wondering because I Couple said it. Those. I said it yesterday on the show because I remember Charles Woodson when Charles Woodson same, moved same from corner. Yes, corner to safety, and I, I, and I fought Bill Parcells about it. But I remember. I just wondered real quick a yes or no. I mean, Kyle, I know you got a show to do here. I just wondered no. yes or no. Could Patrick Peterson transfer to safety?
1: Either? I think he could.
2: Yes, yes. and. I I actually thought when he was coming out of LSU, I thought that's where he was best suited. Now, my evaluation was wrong. I never viewed him kind of like how he was viewed because I thought he had some issues on the perimeter, but I thought the best things that he did were playing the ball and when he got the ball in his hands. And I think the great players that make that transition from corner to safety, you talk about Charles Woodson, Rod Mm. Woodson, the number one thing that they have, tremendous instincts and ball skills. And if he's tough enough to make tackles, that's the thing that you would have to ask. But I absolutely believe that he's smart enough and instinct enough to be a contributor at safety.
3: Not that only that, we, but that I think – That makes me feel better. Thank you, he, Bucky. He's got – I mean, he's got prototypical size, too. Like, he's – I mean, he's a big guy. He's like 6'1", 2'10". Um, so, he's got the size to do it. I think, I just wonder, and I would love to see that for a variety of reasons, on top of him being an LSU guy, like he's as high character a player as there is in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a Hall of Fame resume, so he'd be a hell of a guy to coach up the rest of your secondary. I wonder, and I don't know this, I'm obviously Charles Woodson was not too proud to make that switch, but for a guy like Pat Pete, who is... You know, a, a three-time All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowler is—is is he willing to accept that maybe he can't play outside anymore? I don't know. That would be you
2: sell acquit. it? You sell it? You sell it differently. I would tell you, you sell like Charles Kevin.
4: Woodson. That's yeah. you sell. I, Charles you Woodson sell it.
3: extended his career because of it. Well,
2: yeah, you sell it differently. So what you do is you bring him in and you say, "We got plans for you to be a big nickel." So we're going to put you in the slide. We're going to put you in the box because your instincts will enable you to make more plays. And then you start sliding them into safety. Hey, get a couple reps here at free and whatever. So it's an evolution. It's really being able to paint the picture for here's how you're going to be able to play another five or six years. We're going to put you in a position to be around the ball. Yeah. Two things.
1: See, that, that, might, that, that might that play
2: that might play, and the reason I tie it in is
0: because with the draft, somebody Mm -hmm. might say that's what they want to do instead of drafting one of these safeties. Mm -hmm. That might be a thought in the offseason. I'm here
1: for it. And and two things on that. One, Bucky's getting every Cowboys fan excited by just talking about Charles Woodson and talking about these guys that have made the switch from (laughs) defensive back or from cornerback to safety. And two, Brian, never be afraid of asking a question because it allows me to be an analyst from time to time on this show. I love it whenever you ask you questions <laughs> you're always here. this is your show this isn't my show i'm just here to drive the bus but let's go ahead and take our second break when we come back we're going to ask a couple questions one that includes the name tiny jim on twitter because i just uh-huh. want to talk about that when we come back here on the DallasCowboys.com <laughs> draft show we're back with a tasty treat that's sweeping airwaves and taste buds it's new dr pepper and cream soda let's take a
3: listen May I have a new candle please? Historically, switching to new technology is a no-brainer. Today, it's AT&T 5G. Fast, reliable, secure, and nationwide. Switch to AT&T 5G. It's not complicated. 5G requires compatible plan may not be in your area. See att.com/5g for you for details. This is the DallasCowboys.com
4: draft show.
3: Final moments
1: here of the DallasCowboys.com draft show here on this Tuesday. Be sure to join this group every Tuesday, 10 a.m. Central Time. You can catch the other group Thursdays at 10 a.m. Central Time with Jeff Cavanaugh, Dane Brugler, and Kevin KT-Turner. And since we only have a couple minutes left, I thought I would pull one more question from Twitter on the 20. And we're going to go to Jake, who always asks fantastic questions, but this one stuck out to me today because it had Tiny Jim in it. What does Bratis and Tiny Jim Throwback. think the Honey Badger said to Tom Brady to get him so fired up in the Super Bowl?
3: <laughs> Probably said, I'm not afraid of you, and had some uh, expletives to go along with it. Oh, I you think say so? what I really want to say, but this is it's a family program.
0: I think he told Tom, he said, man, the crawfish season early, is this, the crawfish are small, and he was pissed <laughs> off about it. And he was letting Tom know that. He goes, man, he goes, Tom, I ain't telling you, man, these crawfish are small starting out, man. We gotta stop this. And Tom took offense to that. Because Tom likes small craw- crawfish. So, no, i do
3: all due respect, the, the Bucks kicked the Chiefs' ass. They obviously deserve to win the Super Bowl, but like that sequence over the final five minutes before halftime was ridiculous. Like, Mike Evans flopped for that big DPI. The DPI on Tyron Matthew in the end zone or holding whatever the call was, like that was utter crap. And then Brady chased Tyron Matthew halfway across the field to get in his face, and Tyron's the one that gets flagged. Like That was just the epitome of Tom getting every call he wants, and I hated it.
0: I'll tell you what, though. Tyron looks right what happened to him because Tom had to text him and apologize. But the thing about it is, if I'm Tyron Matthew... I'm like, listen, man. You won the Super Bowl. Get your champagne-smelling breath out of my face. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't need you apologizing to me. You know, and but you know, evidently, you know, Tyron's a fiery player. We all know that. We saw him getting into it on the sidelines with oh, Steve Spagnuolo. Yeah. I mean, he is a. He is like, listen. If you don't call this defense, we are going to get killed today. <laughs> you know, and I mean, and that's the way Tyron is. He is a fiery sob, and we all love him for it. You know, you like you saw what Spagnuolo did. He's like, okay, okay, turn around and leave. That's the best thing you could do with Tyron. Let him sit there and lose his mind on the sidelines. You know, but you know that he's going to play every play hard. And the, again, the fact that Brady had to apologize, I think Tom probably said something that really pissed him off.
2: I'm sure. I
4: love it. I felt like
2: this was a very emotional game for Kansas City. I felt like they were emotionally redlining oh, yeah. anyway. I, can, I I have a true belief that the events that occurred on Thursday certainly impacted them probably beyond. Because a team that has already been to the Super Bowl once, they acted like they were the newbies. Yeah, they in terms of from an emotional standpoint, as opposed to the way the Tampa Bay Buccaneers conducted themselves.
1: That's crazy to think about, but that's exactly what it looked like. It looked like the Chiefs were over emotional, and that, I mean, they came out flat in the first place, but then they kind of overcompensated for it, and they overdid it kind of toward the (laughs) halftime break. And then, of course, we saw kind of the the craziness that Dave Hellman was talking about just a couple moments ago, but that's going to do it. For us here on the Draft Show, as always, presented by Miller Lite. Special thanks to Aaron Gonzalez and Chris Beam in the back running the show. for Brian Broaddus, for Bucky Brooks, and for David Hellman, I'm Kyle Yeomans. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on the Draft Show. This has been a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How
0: about this, Cowboys? Yeah!